Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. Welcome, Cliff Ravenscraft, to Culture Factor. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here, Holly. Excellent. So everybody, I'm going to give you a little bio here because I think it's a really critical component to, to understand uh, where we're going to head in this conversation and why. So Cliff Ravenscraft is a business mentor, professional coach, and motivational speaker. His focus is to help you break free from any beliefs and or behaviors that are holding you back from living the life of your dreams and doing the work you feel most called to do in this world. What is fascinating to me in his pursuit to put transformation into practice to break out of behaviors that held him back, he did a number of things. He started, um, I'm not sure if it's a chicken and egg thing, but he started with back in 2015, making the commitment to work out six days a week, every week for the rest of his life. In 2017, he made a decision to give up all sugar for the rest of his life. And Cliff has learned what is necessary to create change that lasts, which I think dives into his mindset and human behavior and has applied to every area of his life. Uh, So the thread of such commitments will likely weave its way into our conversation today. But as for business, um, he made the pivot before it was called that. Um, He left an extremely lucrative career in a family-run agency started by his grandfather in 1937, without the cuckoo clock, I think. I will mention that he was next in line to take over the agency from his father, so I'm sure that was a really um, hard decision. Um, He built an online business where he became the world's leading authority on podcasting, and I hope you're sitting for this and having coffee too. He was responsible for training more than 40,000 people on the successful launch of their podcast. Let that sink in. And if it doesn't make you take pause, Cliff made a decision to shut down 100% of all income streams from a half million dollar per year business so that he could focus on what he felt most passionate about doing in this world. And today... Cliff is now experiencing greater fulfillment and profitability, so we'll dive into that, that he's ever dreamed, and we will all talk personal and professional as coaching and consulting always are blending the two. So again, welcome to Culture Factor. Holly, 
Thank you so much. I, I, I love the fact that you shared all of that. You read that a lot of that information on an old bio and the very first line that you said, Cliff's a business mentor or something and a something. It's like, where'd she get that? I like that. And I'm like, I have, I'm going to have to use that. And I'm like, oh, wait, I think I gave that. I copied and pasted that from an old bio that I wrote. So that was fun. <laughs> Well, I, I I have to admit, I kind of wordsmithed it a little bit myself, so I'll send you my copy. <laughs> that, no, I, I loved your wordsmith. I, I could actually recognize where, where the paraphrasing was, and it was like, yeah, that's I love this. This is cool. So I've, I've got it recorded on my end as well. Excellent. And I know that you get the transcripts because we have actually talked about that. Yes, uh, live transcripts happening now. Yes. So I actually um, don't necessarily want to talk about the material mechanics of podcasting and and so forth because I know we have talked before about like transcripts and and so forth but because I think the magic is in what you really do at the heart of it all so um let me let me ask this question so you made choices to change yourself personally was that the impetus or that flash moment that made you transform your professional career? Um, again, I, I think I alluded to the chicken and egg in the, in the intro. Would you like to elaborate for us? So, okay. For me, it's a difficult distinction because I don't know if there's actually a difference between the chicken or the egg. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. So person, did I, did, was it first a, tr a personal transformation that then led to a professional transformation or was it a professional transformation, which then led me to uh, applying more to my personal transformation? So the, the reason why that's a hard distinction is because I don't know which came first the the reality is that i have no profession outside of being my personal self and so i don't i mean I, so obviously maybe i have to start on the personal side but there are some things that when i think about well being bringing about personal uh transformation I might think about taking care of relationships to the next level, you know, transforming my physical fitness and health, transforming my emotional uh, intelligence and stuff like that. And when I think about that, it's like, oh, I definitely see an area where I heavily emphasized uh, transformation in my professional life well above my personal life. But then again, if I'm actually improving my professional life, isn't that a part of my personal life. So does that, does that non-answer answer your question? <laughs> I love how you said non-answer. <laughs> um, it does. You know, when I think of that, it brings me to the whole conversation that I think the whole world circles around is branding. Because I think that in, in the effort to brand our business, we are always really branding ourselves. So they kind of are one and the same. Am I understanding that correctly for, it, from you? A, a little bit, but it, I wasn't thinking so much as branding. Let me give you an example. So I'll, I'll th this probably clarify what I was just talking about in my non-answer. So un much like many other people, but I'll speak just only from my personal experience because I make no judgment of others. I definitely, for most of my adult life, put my professional pursuits above everything else in my life. So for example, I became a husband, I became a father, uh, and 
I then realized I now have responsibilities in this world. I developed an incredibly powerful belief system of fear, self-condemnation, the fact that I'm not whole, that there are broken pieces inside of me. And, and I had now I, I wasn't consciously aware of all this stuff, but I, I was a broken person on the personal level. But trying to take whatever strengths I can find and strengthening them and mitigating the the down the 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 drawbacks of my my insufficiencies in life personally. So here I am. So I'm not a terrible husband. I'm not a terrible father, but I'm not a great husband and I'm not a great father. But what I feel is going to make me a better husband and a better father is to be a better financial provider for my wife and my children. And so while I may not know emotionally right now at this stage in my life, how to be more present in the moment with my wife and how to be more present in the moment with my kids. What I do know is I can spend countless hours at work generating more income and I can spend countless hours in sales training courses and reading and studying and learning how to become more efficient and more profitable in my business pursuits as an insurance agent. And by that, I can actually get to the place where I can generate more income than anybody else that I ever graduated high school with. And so at that point, now here I am financially successful, and that makes me feel good about myself as a husband, makes me feel good about myself as a father. And so what I'm saying is that 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 was a radical professional transformation that actually I felt made me better personally. However, in hindsight, I would say that maybe it didn't. And so that's where, okay, so I, so if you were to ask me, where did my transformation in life, you know, where did I start using principles for massive transformation that change and last a lifetime? I would maybe argue that I, I, I started it in my professional work as an insurance agent. I became the best insurance agent I could be. I sold auto, home, life, health, and business insurance. And life insurance was my favorite thing to sell. I only sold term life insurance, and I became the top 10 agents out of 14,000 agents for Grange Life Insurance. And I was in the top 50 of life insurance agents for auto owners life insurance agents or life insurance company, both in the same year. I was in the top 10 or top 50 of two different companies selling term life insurance for two different insurance companies. That's how driven to absolute mastery of my skill professionally. Now, all of that at the expense of my relationship with my wife, all of that at the expense of my presence with my children, all of that at the expense of taking care of myself physically as far as it comes to health and fitness. So what's so interesting is you actually, in the beginning of what you said, by pushing yourself by basically engaging in what's called today hustle culture, you had, you made great wins in your professional life, which made you feel a little bit better about what you were doing in your personal life. But really it was a degradation of your personal life. Yeah. And it didn't, it it wasn't, it wasn't so bad when I was still the employee in the family run 
insurance agency. So at least then I had the week, you know, the weekends off and I had the evenings off, although they were later evenings. And so I, you know, I, I was, I was there, you know, I, I was, I was physically present on the weekends and during the evenings. And I was mentally present much of the time. Uh, mentally, sometimes I was just like thinking about what am I going to do at work today or tomorrow? How am I going to handle this scenario? And shouldn't I, you know, this, or I'm just so mentally exhausted from the day that I'm just not emotionally available to my wife and kids. I don't know that it, it I, like I said, it wasn't terrible, but here's what, but I felt like, Hey, this is just what it means to be a successful husband and father providing financially for all of the needs of this family that, that I have. And so I felt like, well, this just seems to be the way life is. I, you know, I, I, with no judgment of my dad, um, he, he, that, that's, I, 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 I'm following an example, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He was a model. Mm -hmm. He was a model. And, and not only that, but uh, there were several other models and, so I, I just, I didn't feel, I just felt like, you know what, hey, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, ex- except for the fact that maybe with what I had to work with as far as knowledge and belief systems, I genuinely was doing the best that I have. I have no, I have no condemnation for myself about when I, what it was going on there. But I will say, Holly, in transitioning from being that insurance agent, being next in line to take over the family agency, and then all of a sudden starting a podcast as a hobby, and then finding some kind of crazy desire to actually leave the family-run insurance agency where I'm almost ready to take over the business in a couple years when my dad retires and go and start my own business doing something called podcasting, that sounds crazy. When I actually became full-time self-employed, that's when I took my professional transformation to all new heights, all new obsession, all new hustle. And it, and that's where it got really challenging in my marriage with my kids and in my physical health. So much so, I became full-time self-employed in January 2008. That first year, I had never felt more alive in my life as far as it meant when it came to doing work that I felt most called to do in this world. But I had no idea how to run a business. I had no idea how to charge money because I had limiting beliefs about how much money I should charge for what I'm doing. I used to believe that you have to work hard to earn money, and I wasn't technically working hard. The only way that I could feel that I'm earning money and make it hard was working lots of hours. So I was actually, for the first nine months of 2008, I worked somewhere between 12 to 14 hours a day seven days a week, not taking a single day off for the first nine months of my full-time self-employment. And and by that time, this is a first year in business that paid for my CPA. It paid for all the taxes for the business. It paid for all the software and the overhead and all the things that I'm studying and learning. But for nine months, I didn't draw a single paycheck from my business. And then finally, for in the final three months of the year, I took out some money out of my retirement. And I also had just barely made enough to where my net income from the business for my first year of full-time self-employment was $11,000 net income. That was a significant drop from what I had been experiencing as personal income previously. So here's what happened. I, I, now I'm, 
I didn't go I, at the end of that year. I was profitable. My CPA says, congratulations, Cliff. And I'm like, what do you mean? Congratulations. This has been the most challenging, most anxiety ridden year of my life. It seems he goes, but Cliff, you don't understand. Most businesses don't experience a profit until their second, third or fourth year. You were profitable in your first year, dude, you should. It's like, but if you only knew what it took to get here. Oh my gosh. And so Holly, that was an area where I'm like, oh, I reckon. Oh, by the way, I celebrated my first year in business. Uh, the very first week in January, or actually the very first day of January 2009, I was in the hospital where I almost died. I had massive gallstones uh, in my in in my system, and had a gallstone stuck in my cystic duct. They had to, uh, it was it was a mess. I almost died in the hospital, and so after that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to do something to transform my life. Now, what that meant for me is I've got to find a way to make this business even more profitable so I can financially provide for my family. And I need to actually start taking care of myself physically as far as my physical health and, and my physical fitness. And, and still I gotta, maybe if, if I could maybe spend a little bit more time with my wife and kids, my first year in business, full-time self-employed, my wife lived the life of a widow. So, so to answer, so now to fully answer your question, from this point of view, I could argue that professional transformation, one right after the other, was always the first thing that I did on before on the personal side. But so it was that that so finally after two thousand nine, got out of the hospital. I'm like I began this personal self help journey where I'm reading these people like Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, Dan Miller, Forty Eight Days to the Work You Love. All of these books that are helping me see how to rewire the way that I think and the way that I feel and some techniques and strategies on how to succeed in life. So I started mastermind groups and all this other stuff. And I also studied people who were very successful in physical fitness and health. And I started working out. I started eating healthy. And I started to experience. So that, that might have been the first personal transformation. And, but, but at the same time I was doing that, I started to notice that, hey, I am making more money. I am working less hours. I am starting to see an improvement in my health and fitness. And that's giving me more margin in time. And now I'm spending more time with my wife and I'm spending more time with my kids. But still at that point in the journey, I was not emotionally present with them. I physically I'm there, but emotionally I'm still very anxious about whether or not what, you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to solve this problem in my business? So that I'm going to pause right there because I've been monologuing for a bit, but Holly, does that help you understand what I was talking about? Yeah, it does. And you know, I love that you mentioned some books in there that you use to rewire. I think they're like mini masterminds and I think people need to certainly take advantage of the wealth of information that's available to us out there f with a very low barrier to, to entry, right? Like, you know, it's the cost of the book or the Kindle or whatever. Um, I will ask you for a list of your maybe top five books that we could put a link in the show notes on, on the podcast for, um, because I think um, it sounds like there was a couple there that were really um, fantastic for you. Um, you mentioned earlier about limiting beliefs on charging. So 
because I think there's a lot of people who will be listening to this and on their journey through entrepreneurship, whether they are a startup or they're seasoned entrepreneurs, I think there's that question comes up. So if you don't mind me shifting a little bit, I'd you can go wherever you want. <laughs> um, I'd like to go to Greece right now, but for the moment, I'm going to continue <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> um, so limiting beliefs on charging, I think everybody struggles with, um, honestly, how do I charge for the work that I do? Um, and, and when we say limiting beliefs, you know, are people going to think I am worth X? And so you went through that and you are literally the coach to coaches. So how do you, um, how would you break that down for somebody? How do you get them to that point of um, saying, no, I am worth X. It's not a limiting belief. It is now I am worth X. So that's a whole lot more than I can give you in a single answer to this question. So one of the things that I would do is I would point people to a one-hour video that I've created. It's the opening keynote address to my free The Dream Conference. And you can view it anytime. It's available for free over at mindsetanswerman.com slash free. The whole process that answers your question is within that within that one hour video. By the way, you could also read the book. It's titled Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. Now, I may not necessarily resonate with T. R. Harv Ecker's uh, kind of approach to life and the world and wealth and stuff like that. But man, did he teach me a powerful formula that helped me understand my blueprint or my belief systems around money that was getting me the results that I had. So if I can just say that what our whatever our beliefs are about money, will every time we do anything related to products or service, our beliefs that we have will create the thoughts that we have and the feelings emotionally that we have with every decision we face related to money. So every belief about money will impact our thoughts. It will actually, it will determine our thoughts. It will determine how we feel emotionally and how we think and how we feel will always determine how we act or what action we take. And what action we take will always equal the result that we get in life. And so if wherever you are financially, that is because of the actions you have taken. And the actions you have taken have always been determined by your thoughts and your feelings, your emotions. And your thoughts and feelings have always been determined by your beliefs. And most people have no idea what they believe on a conscious level. There's something that we've heard as a kid and we've just adopted. So I'm going to share with you, Holly, real quickly, the reason why I used to throw money in the trash. All right. So I used to believe that I must work hard to earn money. That means that if all of a sudden, some, I'll give you a perfect example of this. I had a client who paid me 300, he was going to pay me $300 for one hour, uh, for a one hour one-on-one session that he booked. And he needed help solving a technical issue. This story is told in full in that opening keynote address that I mentioned. But he was going to pay me $300. He scheduled a one-hour call. It's $300 for one hour, minimum of one hour. That's how I build at the time. 
So he says, Cliff, sure, I'd love to hire you to help me solve this problem. We got on the call. We actually got on the call about five minutes early. And then within 90 seconds, I solved his problem. And he says, Cliff, send me the invoice. I said, well, we still have an hour left. What else can I help you with? No, Cliff, you got, that was everything. Thank you so much. Send me the invoice for $300. I'm like, I can't send you the invoice. Why not? I, he's, and I said, because, because I, haven't, I haven't earned $300. He goes, that's insane. Dude, send me the invoice. We argued for about three or four minutes. And finally, he says, okay, Cliff, that's fine. <laughs> and I let him go. Because uh, here's my thought. My thought is this guy paid me for an hour of my time. So that was another belief. My clients are paying me for an hour of my time. So here's, get this, by the way, if I, if I planned to work hard to help you solve your issue, and, and, and I feel like, man, this is going to really tap, dig deep into my experience, and it's going to be really challenging me for, the, to, for me to solve this technical problem that you're having. And for that, I'm going to charge you $300. If it was as easy as it was, and I solve it within 90 seconds, did I work hard? No. Did I earn $300? No. That's because my belief system. Now, the other thing that I, another belief that I had, the more difficult my job is, the more income I should earn. And this has been proven to me time and time again when I was a kid. It's like, hey, does anybody want to do this incredibly difficult job? No. How about if we pay you double time? Yes. All right. So the more and, and this was reinforced many, many times. Now, I will tell you that that call was the easiest thing that I've done. It, there was zero difficulty. So I should have earned less than what he was expecting to pay or what he agreed to pay. Now, here's the third belief that I had that was causing me to reject that guy and his $300. The more I hate my job, the more I should get paid. All right. So I, matter of fact, I loved what I was doing so much. I love and figuring out people's issues and, and helping them solve them. I, it's like, man, the, and, and I absolutely love this. Now, this may sound crazy, but back when I was an insurance agent, I actually hated my job. Don't get me wrong, I was excellent at it. I was the best in my field, but I did hate my job. And so therefore, I never had any problem making tons of money as an insurance agent because I hated the job so much, I felt like I was I felt like I had earned that money by putting so many hours into something I hate so much. Holly, doesn't that sound ridiculous? Beyond ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds beyond ridiculous, but that's the only way that I could accept the fact I was making so much money because I believe the more I hate my job, the more I should get paid. And again, it goes to that thing, the more difficult my job is, the more I should earn. I there, People are like, Cliff, will you do this? No, there's no way. But what if I pay you this much? No. What if I pay you this much? No. What, what if I pay you? Okay, if you pay me that much, I'll do this really thing I hate to do. So this, so there, I actually figured out where these beliefs came about. But I wasn't, when that guy says, Cliff, send me the invoice, I didn't know any of this stuff, Holly. All I knew is I told the guy, I said, listen, if I send you the invoice for $300 and you pay me, I promise you this, I will not be able to sleep tonight with a good conscience because it's stealing. By the way, it's wrong to take money that I have not earned. That's a belief that I had. Taking money that I have not earned is stealing. 
So if I send you an invoice and you send me $300, I am stealing from you because I have not earned the money. The, and by the way, another one, I'll just, my client, I already alluded to my clients are paying me for an hour of my time. I used to believe that. I don't anymore. I, matter of fact, I don't believe any of these things anymore. The more time it takes for me to do the job, the more I should get paid to do it. That's another belief that I have, which, by the way, is actually not in the best interest of my clients, if you think about it, or any of my employers. I, actually, it should be the opposite of that. In fact, so what I had to do is I had to realize I am throwing money out the window or throwing it in the trash because of these beliefs. I must work. I won't go through the list again. But because I had those beliefs, those determined how I thought and emotionally felt about charging people money. And those led to me taking actions such as, no, I will not send this invoice for $300. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think my wife might have thought about if she overheard this conversation? She might be a little pissed. <laughs> exactly. So, um, gosh, I don't even remember the question, but I think no, that was no. the answer to yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I really, really um, in, am intrigued because I think the whole coaching and consulting framework is around you know, uh, an hour, you know, by the hour, if you will, you know, I will consult on X project or help you resolve your issue. We work for, you know, an hour, uh, each week for four weeks, we transform you into whatever. Um, and it's so interesting to me because really what you're trying to make everybody realize is you're, you're paying for my expertise. It's not by the clock. So if we resolve your issue in 90 seconds or if it takes me 90 minutes, you're going to get all the time that you need. It's my experience that I'm delivering. Am I right yeah, in understanding? That, that's, that is exactly right. Matter of fact, I, I'm at the place now where I, I imagine I wouldn't actually propose it this way. It's like, you know what? Yes, I'll help you solve your problem. Here's what it is. It'll be $300 if we solve it within one hour. All right. But if I can solve it within the first, within the first five minutes, it'll be $900. Interesting. Have you done that? I, I haven't, but 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 it's the mindset that I have today. See, the thing is, is first of all, I, there, there's a much bigger story in, in, that we don't need to go into. But this guy, is, for him, his time, you know, if you think about time is money, and which I don't think time is money, by the way. But if you think about, man, th this guy is at such a level. And I recognize this guy is at such a level that for him to sit there for the remaining hour would have been a, a waste of his valuable resource of time. He could probably do something with that hour and earned an extra thousand or five thousand dollars. So to actually say, you know, hey, Cliff, this is great. Send me the 300 the invoice for 300. Man, this. That oh my gosh, what you did is way worth way more than three hundred dollars. Not only have you solved my problem in ninety seconds, you gave me an extra hour in my day that I was not anticipating. What an incredible gift on top of the service you just provided me. Well, that's a really cool way of looking at it. I really like that. Um, and Holly, I would love to also say one other thing to this pricing thing. So I would, I would actually challenge everybody to see if you can't figure out any internal clock that any, or any internal conflict you have about this statement that I'm about ready to say. Nobody has ever in the existence of capitalism, nobody 
has ever paid anyone ever for an hour of their time. No employer, no client, no student, no one. Nobody has ever paid anyone for an hour of their time. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. So if you think about this. If, if, if Let's just think about a, a, a McDonald's employee flipping burgers, right? So you say, well, Cliff, there's obviously there's people, you know, they, they, you know, McDonald's has been forced to pay 15 bucks an hour at this point, And they're having a hard time getting people there. Obviously, those people show up, they clock in, they clock out, and they get a paycheck. As long as they show up for an hour, they get a paid. They're obviously getting paid by the hour. Well, I can tell you this, my very first job, when I, my very first official paid job with the, you know, taxes taken out and all that other stuff when I was 16 was at McDonald's. And I will tell you, there were people who came, clocked in, and did not flip the burgers the way that they were supposed to flip the burgers. They wasted their time. Guess what happened? They got fired because they were never being paid to show up and just be physically present for an hour. They were being paid for the value that they brought to the business. Everyone is being paid for the value, never for the time. It's just how much value can you put into an hour will determine by how much you might actually receive for each hour of your investment of time. I love that you made that analogy because I think that we're all on different levels in, in our journey. And uh, I think understanding that that applies no matter where you're working or what age you're at. I think that's really important. And I, I also want to mention, I, I said clip because um, my culture factor audience, I don't know that you realize I'm doing this live in Clubhouse and that's a terminology here, but I just needed to add that. Um, really amazing. I, 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 um, it makes me want to ask another question uh, about shifting in their process. So people do get stuck you know, especially as coaches and consultants, because more often than not, they're, they're working on their own. Uh, and, and obviously, we're in a gig economy now where there's a lot of coaches and consultants. How do we, how do we shift? How do we shift our thinking? I mean, I know you've given us books and different things like that to, to go to. Was there like, was there really like a magical moment that you hit on or, or can you explain it with an example of, you know, a client that you had? So the shift for me, the biggest shift that ever happened, obviously with every insight that I got from a book or a podcast or a documentary or something of that nature, those things all created many shifts inside of me. And there are so many shifts that are a po- that are a part of the journey and, and and stuff like that. But if you want to talk about if we were to look at you know 
like a chart of my professional and personal life, because again, I, it's hard to distinguish the two, but if we look at the chart of my growth, my growth, my growth, I see myself steadily going up. I read a book and I see myself steadily going up. I see, I, I read another book. I see myself, I listen to a podcast episode and oh my gosh, that powerful insight. I see myself steadily going up. But the, it was the implementation of one principle from the book, Think and Grow Rich, that radically transformed my life forever. And it is the concept of the mastermind, the mastermind principle. The mastermind principle says that wherever two or more minds gather together in perfect harmony towards any goal, those two minds can come up with, with plans uh, and ideas and concepts that neither of the minds individually could ever come up with. And this can exponentially increase with each additional mind bring, brought into the mastermind group of harmony. So that, that led me to the understanding of something called a mastermind group. And the way that I define a mastermind group, it is a small group of people where every member of the group is absolutely committed to the success of every other person in the group. Every member of a mastermind group agrees to bring all of their independent education, all of their expertise, all of their experience, all of their skills, all of their talents, all of their abilities, and all of their resources. And they say, everything I have, I make freely available to you, everyone else in this mastermind group. Now imagine everybody in that mastermind group also agreeing to do that. And everyone works in perfect harmony towards the success of every other person in the group. That's the principle of the mastermind and the mastermind group. And I read this book and one of the clients I was working with at the time is a guy named Pat Flynn. Many people have heard of Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. And I had just helped him launch his podcast. And he and I were both on a, on a journey of growing our, our personal brands and our online businesses. And I said, Pat, have you ever read the Think and Grow Rich? He goes, yeah, man, this is amazing. And I said, have, have you ever been in a mastermind group? He goes, I've heard of them. And I, you know, I know a lot of people have really succeeded. I said, would you like to be in a mastermind group with me? And that was in October 2010. Now, I will tell you that you, I've, I've already shared a little bit of, you know, 2008, only $11,000 personal income. 2009, I'm starting to see those incremental changes because of the books and the insights that I'm getting and stuff like that. And the, October 2010 rolls around. And I will tell you that in, the, in 2010, I was able to generate $16,000 in two weeks as a result of one 90-minute meeting that we, or one 60-minute meeting that we had at the time. And from 2010 to 2011, my income doubled. And from 2012 to 2013, my income doubled again. And I will tell you right now, every single time I've exponentially increased my success personally and or professionally, about 70 to 80% of my growth has come out of my experience with the Green Room Mastermind Group, which I've met with weekly every single week since October 2010. Well, that's really amazing. Can I get a seat at that table? 
No. <laughs> Can't blame a girl for asking. But, um, but you can get a seat at the table of the next level mastermind, which, by the way, if anybody is interested, so here are some quotes about that. The reason why the answer is no is because it's six people in the in the green room mastermind, and we have agreed that this is this is a lifetime commitment. Us six, nobody else will ever be brought into this group. We are lifelong brothers in this together. So that's the only re- it's just a closed group. But I have I do have paid mastermind groups called the Next Level Mastermind and I do offer those. I've been doing it since November 2017. I've had 74 people and have I will actually it's been let it'll be 4 years in November and paid mastermind groups for me has generated I will almost I'm almost ready to break the 1 million dollar mark in just this one product. So but paid mastermind groups are amazing. The whole idea, the concept here, so I've explained the concept, the, but here's why mastermind groups were so important to me once I understood it. Jim Rohn, who was a, you know, person, he was a motivational speaker guy. He was Tony Robbins' mentor. Jim Rohn is very famous for FSN. And he says, listen, your life will be the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, this is financially uh, relationally, uh, physically, fitness-wise, if you look at the five people you spend the most time with, you take their annual income average and your annual income average, and you'll find you're all pretty much about the same. And if you look at your the way you show up physically as far as your physical fitness and health, in most cases, the people you spend the most time with, the five people you spend the most time with, will physically fitness level have around the same physical fitness and health that you do. Now, arguments could be made for family members and coworkers and stuff like this. And But I'm talking about the people you intentionally spend the most time with and the people you allow to speak in influenced thoughts into your mind on a, cons- on a consistent basis. So the idea was that it's this concept of upgrade your peer group. Tony Robbins uh, has talked about mastermind groups, and he says, listen, the quality of your life will be the direct reflection of the expectations of your peer group. That means that you, whoever your peer group is, let's just say those five or ten people that you consider to be inside of your inner circle, whatever their expectations are for you as far as how you're meant to show up in the world for you to be a part of their inner circle as well, you will work hard to live up to those expectations. Now, if your peer group has very low standards, then you have very little to live up to. And so if you if the expectations of your peer group are so low that sitting on a, a couch eating a bag of potato chips every single night and binge watching uh, three TV shows a week on Netflix and just showing up at work and doing the bare minimum and drinking a pack of you know a case of beer or two on the weekend if if that's if they're if that's the only expectation your peer group has of you then by golly that's going to be the quality of your life but if you get into a group where there are standards of who is it that I want to hang out with, what kind of people do I want to be with, people who inspire me, people who are lifelong learners, people who are positive mindset people, those people say, you know what, I want to do life with other people who are like me and reinforce the life that I've desired, desired to create for myself. Those people have a higher standard. If you want to get into their peer group, then if you upgrade into their peer group, then you'll have to live up to their expectations to be even able to resonate at a same level of thought and living that they do. And so so if the quality of your life is dependent upon the expectations of your peer group and you want to increase the 
uh, quality of your life, then you need to upgrade your peer group, which I own the domain to upgradeyourpeergroup.com. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> You're going to have the NFT too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we're learning a lot here. And I, I think it's really important for, um, for people to look at all of the different elements you've brought in. So we're looking at your worth being based on your experience and not such so much a function of a clock based on so an hour. Can, can I stop you there? Because I yeah. want to make sure if, 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 if you're pulling this from what I'm saying, your worth has nothing to do with your experience. Your worth is intrinsic and it comes from your soul and has nothing to do with money. What I'm saying is that how much you can earn is dependent on how much value you can bring. Your worth is never in question. The value is. Okay, yeah. So so maybe I used the wrong word, but I think what I was trying to say is the value of the things you've learned, your... Um, when I use expertise, you know, it's, it's all wrapped up in our own personal ethics system, um, how we care about people, how we want to help people. Um, so I'm, I'm probably meant it more like that, but. Um, no, I, I, I understand that. I, I understood. I'm glad to hear that you know that, but do you know, Holly, that there, the two biggest fears in people's lives are, am I worthy and will I be loved? And most people don't feel like they're worthy. They don't, they don't know their worth. And they're like, they're, I am not as, I, I do not have as much worth as Cliff because I don't have as much experience. I don't have as much worth as Cliff because I don't have as much education. I don't have as much worth as Cliff because I don't have as much, as much, many resources. So everyone's worth is intrinsic, intrinsically the same. We are all whole and worthy. Not all of us are aware of it yet. But we, but our worth is never in question. But value is the experience. But and Holly said it correctly. It it is our experience. It's our skills. It's our ta talents. It's our abilities that actually brings the value that we can bring to others. It's not our worth. It is our value that we can bring to others. So our education, experience, expertise, skills, talents, abilities, and our resources all bring increasingly incredible amounts of value for which we can exchange uh, for money. And some of those things uh, are not learned by a four-year degree. It's, it's learned in a lot of other ways. So I, I think I, I like to make things accessible to people too um, in understanding that. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview. Please go to the next episode to start the rest. Thank you.